The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Psalm 90, if you would. Psalm 90. We began a series of lessons some months back on the Trinity. And, um, of course, this series gets interrupted occasionally because of schedule changes. And, and so we've been, we, we've been hit and miss for a while. Uh, but I just want to back up a little bit. We're talking right now about the attributes of God. So I, I want to back up just a little bit and hit the, the first two points that are on your study sheet. The first one is that God is self-existent. Uh, and of course, if you remember, we, we, we said that all of us had a beginning. I exist today because of Lewis and Anna Mae Abshire. And they got married and, and they, they produced four children. I'm one of the four. I'm the last of the four. I'm the baby of the family. And, um, but I'm here today because of them. All the things that we look at. The trees, the lumber that went into this building, the wiring, everything we see had a beginning and someone was responsible for that beginning. That was God the Father who created all things. But God is self-existed. God is because he is. He exists because he exists. He owes his existence to no one and nothing. God is self-existent. Then we looked at the fact that God is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. I, I depend upon my job to earn money, to provide for my family. Um, you do the same, each of us here. We, we depend upon someone else for everything we need. We like to say, well, I'm, you know, I don't depend on anyone for anything. Oh, yes, you do. You depend on your job. You, you depend on, on, on a lot of people. So we're not self-sufficient, but God is. God needs no one. He needs nothing. The fact that these, these um, TV evangelists run around saying, God needs you, is not true. It's a lie. Now, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He's self-sufficient. Uh, he, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything that exists is his. He, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. So now we'll go forward today with point number three, and that is this, that God is eternal. God is eternal. Let's, let's pray before we, we go any further this morning. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity today to look at who and what you are. Teach us, Lord, because without you, we'll know nothing. So teach us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God is eternal. Look at Psalm 90. I'm just going to read the first two verses. We read here, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is eternal. 
It I'm not just saying God will be here for eternity. I'm saying God has been here for eternity past. And that's a mind-boggling thought. Um, eternality is what we're talking about today. Now, there are two aspects to this word that I want us to consider this morning. First, I want us to consider what I call imputed eternality. Imputed eternality. In Titus chapter, uh, in Titus uh, chapter 2, we read, in verse 1, we read, In hope of eternal life, which God, can, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Actually, Titus only has one chapter. It's Titus verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Eternal life, for you and me, must be granted by a power apart from ourselves. We did not have the power to rise in life without our parents. I think I misquoted just now. Titus has more than one chapter, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. It's Titus chapter 2, verse 1. I, I, I didn't have a verse attached, and I thought, no, it's Jude that only has one chapter. So, uh, Titus is chapter 2, verse 1. For you and for me, eternal life must be granted. Uh, we do not have the power to rise in life by our own volition. As stated earlier, I have parents. And without my parents, I wouldn't be here. I couldn't rise to life without the procreative act of my mother and father. Same is true for you. We, we didn't have the power to bring ourselves into existence. And we don't have the power over death. None of us here, by our own volition, have power over death. We can't stop death from coming for ourselves nor for anyone else. In fact, the scripture states what? It is appointed unto man once to die. Death and taxes, as the old saying goes, are the only two certainties in life. So, we're powerless. We're powerless to raise ourselves to life and we're powerless to keep death from, from taking us. So if we are going to have eternality... It is, must be granted by a power greater than ourselves. Our eternality is a gift from God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's all go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read the first 10 scriptures, first 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. We read here, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, we were spiritually dead, right? Everybody understand that? Everybody agree with that? We were spiritually dead. We have no power in our, in our state of being spiritually dead. We have no power to raise ourselves back to life. So, the scriptures tell us that he has quickened us. It is he that hath made us alive. 
Verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit thou now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, these verses are basically just putting us in our place. Some people think they were pretty good, but we weren't. I don't care who you are this morning, you were filthy flesh. You were filthy flesh living in the lusts of your flesh to fulfill the lusts of your mind and of your heart. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ, through Christ Jesus. So even though we were that filth, that we were dead in the filthiness of our minds and hearts, God has quickened us. He has raised us and made us alive and has made us to, I like this, sit in heavenly places. Listen, in, in, in a very true sense, we are already citizens of heaven. In a very true sense, we are already residents of heaven. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we sit in heavenly places. Verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Eternal life is a gift. It's a gift from God the Father. You and I have done nothing to merit eternal life. We have done nothing to earn eternal life. It is a gift given by God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. And this gift that we have, our eternality, this eternal life is enduring. In Romans chapter 8, in the 38th and 39th verses, Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is enduring. Nothing can take it away from us. And God himself will not remove it from us. This eternal life, which was a gift from God, is enduring. But not only is it enduring, it's also immutable. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Just, just a few, few books back. Hebrews chapter 6. 
And we'll begin reading at verse number 17. We read here, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, that's you and I, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is uh, for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We see here that this eternal life, which was promised by you and promised, uh, or promised to you and promised to me by God, is immutable. It means it will not be taken back. It will not be taken away. And the reason God will not take away our eternal life is because we had nothing to do with it to begin with. Our hope is, it says we have as an anchor of the soul. What anchors our hope? Can anyone tell me? Jesus anchors our soul. And unless God is to change his mind and refuse the sacrificial work of Christ, our salvation, our eternality is secure. It is anchored. And, and he says it's done within the veil. It's done in the holiest of holies. Now if you've been attending Sunday night as we study the, the temple, you understand the significance of that. Who is allowed in the holiest of holies? Only God. And our anchor, our salvation is secured in the holiest of holies by Jesus Christ our Lord. It is immutable. It is enduring. It is immutable. So the first aspect of eternality, I wanted to look at the imputed eternality. That's, that's my eternality and your eternality, which depends upon God and his power. It is the truth that it is enduring and immutable that is so valuable to us. But then we must consider a second aspect of eternality. And that is what I'm going to call autonomous or sovereign eternality. Autonomous or sovereign eternality. This is the truth that God has always existed and that God will always exist. Now, I have said this before, uh, and I will say this again. No one who has ever lived will be able to completely reconcile this in their mind. Can you, can you truly, can you sit there and honestly tell me that you can reconcile without any questions or without any little inkling or speck of, 
of uncertainty and understand fully God's existence in eternity past. We, we can't do it. Oh, we believe it. We can believe it, most certainly. And we accept it. That's true. But we really, we really don't comprehend it. And that is because we've never, we, we have no frame of reference to understand it. My physical life began on October 21st, 1957. My eternal life began on November 29th, 1981. Yet, both of those were dependent upon someone else. Both of those were dependent upon God. But God had no beginning. And he will have no ending. I did a little research this week on this. Um, I was trying to determine what is the largest number in scientific notations. I found that it was called a Googleplex, which is the number 10 with 100 zeros. That's a pretty big number, isn't it? 10 with 100 zeros after it. And in scientific notation, that is the largest number used. So imagine for a moment, with considering that number, if we could go back in time, 10 billion Googleplexes. That's a long ways back. That's 10 raised to the power of 900. That's 10 with, with, with what is that? That's 10 with uh, 90,000 zeros behind it. Wow. That's a big number. If we could go back in time that far... God would have already been present for eternity past. We, we, we wouldn't be at the beginning of God. Yet this still isn't his beginning. For he had no beginning. He has always been. You see why I, I say we can't comprehend this? We, we simply can't comprehend this. And we won't be able to comprehend God's existence in eternity past, which is really not an accurate statement because existence in eternity past would indicate that at some point there had to be a beginning, but there was no beginning. It goes on forever. That God has always been here. Now, if you try to tell me this morning that you can comprehend this, well, I'm going to have to question your sincerity. I'm not going to say you're a liar, but I'm going to question your insincerity. In fact, I lack the intelligence to even illustrate this point adequately. I possess eternality today because God granted me the gift of immortality. God possesses eternality today because he has always been. God is self-existent. 
God is self-sufficient. God is eternal. And then number four this morning, I want to look at the fact, attribute that God is infinite. God is infinite. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 8. Let's all go together to 1 Kings chapter 8. All the way back toward the front. 1 Kings chapter 8. And we're going to read three verses. This is, in this passage we find Solomon um, praying at the dedication of, of the temple that he has built. So look at verse number 22. We read, And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel, and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee, in heaven above or on earth beneath, who keepeth covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. Now let's look at verse 27, please. Let's skip forward. We read here, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built it. We read there in verse 27, Solomon, and we remember now, Solomon is a man endued with wisdom greater and beyond any other human that ever lived with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Solomon in in his ultimate wisdom states in verse 27, The heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. And that is because God is infinite. How big is the universe? Anybody know? It's pretty big. In fact, science estimates that the known universe is 93 billion light years in diameter. So scientists estimate that the known universe, that which they can see and measure, is 93 billion light years from one side to the other. Now one light year is equal to 5.88 trillion miles. That's one light year. So the known universe by scientific estimate is 93 light years is 546.84 trillion miles. That's a big number, right? Anybody here anybody here fathom that number? No, we don't. It's 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 unfathomable. By comparison, the earth is 93 million miles from the sun. And it takes light 8 minutes and 20 seconds to travel from the sun to the earth. So if the sun goes out, we won't know about it for 8 minutes and 20 seconds. But then we'll find out real quick. So the known universe would be 5,880,000 times the distance between the earth and the sun. It would take... You and I, it would take 106 days 
to travel to the sun at the top speed that man has ever attained in the vacuum of space, which is 36,373 miles per hour. It would take 106 days to travel from the earth to the sun. So to travel across the known universe would take 1,716,236.15 years. So if we started at one end of the universe, it would take us 1.7 million years to reach the other end, traveling at the, at the top speed that we can travel in space. That's 57,208 generations. That's a lot. That's a that's a lot of generations. Generation is average is is thirty years. So the generations measured every thirty years is a new generation. We would need we would need to do that fifty seven thousand two hundred and eight times <coughs> to make it all the way there. The one point seven million years. Now these numbers are unfathomable. And by the way, that is the reason science use, likes to use such big numbers, because you can't question what they're saying. Because nobody, nobody was living 30 billion years ago to witness the Big Bang. So they use these huge, huge numbers because it, 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 it kind of makes you feel less significant and you don't question what they're saying. But I question it because I have a Bible that says that there hasn't been that much time elapsed from the time God created all things. But to just give us a, try to give us a comprehension, according to science, this is what we're looking at. And Solomon stated that the heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. Because he is so infinite. I do know this from the scripture. That there is no place where God does not exist. Let's look together at Psalm 139. Turn with me to Psalm 139. And we're going to read verses 7 through 12. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Here, the psalmist writes, <coughs> Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I take my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And here the psalmist confirms for us in scripture that there is no place where God does not exist. 
as vast and as large as the universe is, the cosmos, it is minuscule in comparison to the infinite God. Jonah learned this lesson. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. We read here, Now the words of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Jonah thought he could run from God. But even in the midst of the sea, God was there. Now you know, Jonah was a, was a man of God. He was a prophet. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not totally convinced that Jonah thought he could hide from God. I think Jonah thought he could run from the will of God. I think Jonah thought if I, if I go over there, I'll be too far from Nineveh and God will have to use someone else because I don't want to go preach to Nineveh. That's, that's just my opinion. That's what I think. I think, I think Jonah knew he couldn't run from, from God's presence. I think he was running from the will of God. But that's irrelevant to my point. My point is he couldn't hide from God. Adam tried to hide from God, didn't he? Hmm? Did Adam try to hide from God? Yes, he did. In Jeremiah twenty-three twenty-four, we read, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? saith the Lord. God asked the question, is there any place a man can hide that I won't see him? And we know the answer to that question. The answer is no. There is no place we can hide. Wicked men try to hide in the cover of darkness. In Job chapter 34 and verse 22, we read, there is no darkness or deep shadow where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Uh, men do wicked things at night under the cover of darkness because they believe that this hides them from God. But the truth is, they can't hide from God. Jeremiah sixteen seventeen, For my eyes are on all their ways, they are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from mine eyes. Oh yes, God is an infinite God. There is no end to his presence. You know, sometimes we forget that. Even God's elect children 
Sometimes we forget that. And we do things that we shouldn't do because for just a moment, we forget. You know, when I was, when I was a kid, I would never do anything wrong in front of my dad. Never. I was, right, I was on my toes when dad was around. I was, I mean, I had a halo around my head when dad was present. I never did anything wrong. I always got into trouble when dad wasn't around. And I'd forget about the consequences for doing wrong. And I'd do it and I'd get caught. Then I had to go home and face dad. That was no fun. But if I could have had dad around me every second of every day for my whole childhood, I would have never gotten in any trouble. Any of you believe that? If anybody believes that's true, raise your hand. I know it's not true, and I'll tell you why. In my heart, I I would think that I would never have gotten into trouble if Dad would have been present every second of every day of my life. I'd like to think that, but I know it's not true. Do you know why? Because God the Father is present with me every second, yet I still do wrong. And so do all of you. Because for just that split second, just that little moment, we forget. And we do the wrong things. But God is infinite. There's no end to his presence. We are ever under his watchful eye. We are ever in his presence. So be careful. Be careful. We used to sing a little song with our bus riders. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Sing with me. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Oh, be careful, little hands, come on, what you touch. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful, little hands, what you touch. Oh, be careful, little feet. Where you walk. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you walk. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love, so be careful, little feet, where you walk. So be careful, believer. Be careful. Because God is infinite, God is eternal, He is ever present, He sees all things, and He forgets nothing. We've discussed some mind-boggling facts this morning. Facts that only an elect child of God can accept and believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 states, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I don't have time to read all the scriptures I've listed here. But let me just say this. Count yourself blessed this morning if you are a child of God. For in Matthew sixteen seventeen we read, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So if you're a child of God this morning, count yourself blessed. 
because God has taught us and God has revealed to us his truth found in his word. All right, folks, that's all the time we have this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the day, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.